0: Tennessee Titans talk. Bills on Monday night. I'm ready.
1: I am too. This is what we live for, right? We want the primetime games, and we usually play our best in primetime, so let's do it. We need to rebound from last week.
2: Historically, this is the game after an embarrassing loss to an inferior team. We punch way above our weight, shock everyone in primetime, and do something. But the Bills, even though it's just one game, and they kind of already lived up to the hype. They do look like they might be the best team in the NFL, but we've had their number the past couple of years. All those games were primetime. This game's primetime. I hope we put up a fight. I mean, okay, I wouldn't mind if they killed us on national television, but if that led to Downing getting kicked out the door, I would tolerate that. My only fear for Monday is it's close, (laughs) but not really close. Like, the offense looks competent, but we don't really stick together, and Downing has an Apparition of a performance where it's like, oh, he fig- course corrected from how bad he was against the Giants, and it was just, no, everyone was playing at their A game because it was primetime. He's still Todd Downing, and that just pushes the can down the road of ripping off that band aid. Big Fellow Landy goes into his
0: expectation for Monday night. Mine is, of course, the national media, ESPN, it's going to be a giant Bill's Love Fest, and we kick their ass. That's what I want, and we've seen that happen before because we look so bad. This is a very good team. Now, the Bills have been crowned. They've never won anything. They've been crowned as Super Bowl favorites in Vegas, even in the offseason. I I don't think they're going to win Super Bowl this year or any year as currently constructed. That being said, they do have a stacked roster. They are very good. Our fans are making assumptions that we're going to get beats. Others are that we're going to bounce back and win. My expectation is that I think we're going to go in and we're going to make them look dumb. In their own place on Monday night, and we're going to make ESPN look dumb. I think we're going to, if not win this game, I think we're going to give them a really good game.
1: I like us in these big games, and especially when we're, when we're on a national stage, fifteen point blowout or a thirty five point blowout, we're going to be we're going to be punching every single round. You know, that's just what we've come to expect with, Mike, with a Mike Vrabel team. I would love to keep this win streak against the Bills alive, uh, alive. And uh, you know, we did it on Monday night, and it was maybe one of the best games we've ever been to.
0: All that said, Landon, if we run such a conservative play call as we did in the second half, uh, week one. There's there's no way we're beating this team. Vegas has this as 10-point dogs.
1: Well, for me, I mean, if you look at the matchups in Vegas, what they're doing this week, a lot of heavy favorites. The Rams, a 10-point favorite on the Falcons. You've got the, the Niners, a 9.5-point nine favorite on the Seahawks. You've got Broncos, 10-point favorites on the Texans. You've got the the Packers, 10-point favorites over the Bears. I mean, so there are some pretty big lines this week. So the NFL's oddsmakers are betting that this is the week that, you know, things start to kind of take shape a little bit. So I don't necessarily take that as a huge indictment against us since there are so many big lines. Obviously, Vegas thinks we're going to get our teeth kicked in.
2: Yeah, I do wonder if Bullock had made that field goal, if it would be a bit different 'Cause that's really just what the game came down to. It be different. But I think it, go. I think it's yeah. fair I understand like the line is more like a projection of just the way people are betting and the way people see the teams versus how the actual score go. But us losing by ten is very realistic and I wouldn't say like, oh, it's locker room material to get them hyped up, but it's like Yeah. You lost to the Giants, you blew like a sixteen point lead, you couldn't do anything in the second half, and you're going to you're going on the road on Monday night to a team that's gonna have like He's going to have like 12 days of rest. It's their home opener, arguably the best fan base in the NFL. They're ready to be crowned. I mean, 10 points, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I mean, 20, I wouldn't be shocked, especially if Downing doesn't get his head out of this end. Because you look at that Bill's defensive line, if Downing just calls the same basic plays, they're just going to be laughing on the sidelines the whole time because they don't even have to do anything.
0: Big fellow, when you were playing in high school or college, did you ever lose to a team you were supposed to beat and then a week later have to play the prohibitive favorite in the conference or the state or whatever? Oh, all and the time. did, it, did you need rock locker room material? Did you need a bulletin board material for that? What's the real dynamic like within the locker room this week?
1: Oh, I mean, bulletin board material, is it's a real thing. And in high school, <laughs> I played for a very crappy team. You know, I love them. I bleed red, white, and blue. Unfortunately, those are Bill's colors this week. I think at the high school level, it's more of... Yeah, there's some, uh, there's some, you know, bulletin board material, but it's your coach's responsibility to get you hyped up. I remember specifically, I'm not going to go too crazy on this, but I remember one game specifically. It was one of our closest rivals, and we had kids trans, you know, transfer out into these, this one school all the time. And one of our coaches, like, got all fired up. He grabbed somebody's helmet in the locker room, and he just went off on this speech about somebody from that school stealing your girlfriend, and he starts chucking helmets, you know, through the wall. And I was like... I'm not really pumped to play this game. That was weird. So obviously, you know, some of that stuff it can get the wrong message and it was it was a really weird moment. I was just like, this is awkward. But I've been, you know, when I was playing in college and, you know, we had the locker room material. We had the the bulletin board stuff with another local college that we were always battling back and forth in in the city. We called it the Mayor's Cup and there was like a big old trophy and we would post quotes from the other coach and because we were local teams, that same coach like that's same coach had recruited me so he knew me very well he knew he watched my tape he knew exactly a lot of things i did and the same thing for all 70 of my teammates too like he he knew those people because he recruited them you know flamboyant things were being said you know things that caught that local media attention and things that you know we heard you know, all week leading up to that game and, you know, stuff that got people extra fired up. And then when it comes game day, that's all you're focused on. You are focused on crushing that team to the best of your ability and being a straight up killer. And that's my criticism of our team for the last couple of years. We've never had that go for the jugular mentality we've got it gotten out to leads and we've played the rest of the game trying to protect that lead that is not going to fly against these buffalo bills yeah. if we want a shot at winning this game we have to put our pedal pedal to the metal yeah. and we cannot let up we you know if we're up 14 nothing keep going run henry all day long you know yeah. start throwing across the top, uh, throwing deep like Try to go up 21 nothing, 28 nothing.
0: There's a difference like, between running yeah. Henry and playing not to lose like we did in the second half last right. and It's just not going to work for our fan base, absolutely no, not. We,
1: we have to be way more aggressive uh, with things that actually work. So to our point over the last couple weeks, Todd Downing, that's not his game. It never is, it never will be, and that's why ultimately he needs to go because he cannot orchestrate a game plan to win a game, let alone even to dominate.
0: Landon, you know I've been critical of the Bills the last couple of years because I felt like they always choke in big situations, especially Josh Allen. We saw that in the last 13 seconds in their playoff game against the Chiefs last year. All that being said, I think a lot of people think, well, it's Josh Allen and who else? But I think now that they've added Von Miller, and you just really look at their roster, you tell me what you think, but Josh Allen, Deion Dawkins... Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs, who is awesome. Gabe Davis, even. And then you say on defense like Von Miller, we know Daquan Jones is is an average or better player. Oliver. They've got a few guys like on the corner that I'd never heard of, but are good. They have good tape. Dane Jackson. And then of course they've got two really good safeties, Micah Hyde, and of course, uh Jordan Poyer. That I've just named like two hundred and twelve. Top ten at third position ish players, landed. What do you think of their overall talent?
2: Overall, it's definitely top five in overall talent. It's evenly distributed. My one worry would be that the offensive line doesn't only have that one stud. I mean, Deon I'm glad Dawkins you mentioned that
0: because that's what we're going to talk about.
2: Deion Dawkins is a solid, good left tackle, but he's not. Think about the great offensive line in the league. You're like, you're not. The, it's not Deion Dawkins popping to your head. On defense, Tredavis White is still out because he tore his ACL. So. Their defense is pretty much just solid on the back seven. You mentioned Hyde and Poyer. Their linebackers are solid. And really, they just have the deepest defensive line in the NFL, them or Philly. Thankfully, just looking at the injury report, it looks like Ed Oliver and Tim Settle were back to back DNPs so far this week. So they might be out. But even then, like you mentioned, Von Miller is that final piece of the puzzle they're missing, that closer yeah. at pass rush. Oliver. Mm-hmm. When he's healthy, is super good. Jordan Phillips is a great pass rusher.
0: Then yeah.
1: Rousseau and Boogie Basham, who they drafted last yeah, year. Yeah, I didn't even
0: mention the, their defensive
1: ends. So they've got a good yeah. deep group. Or Epinesa as well. I mean, <laughs> the names just keep piling up. Yeah, yeah they're they're so, I mean, it's worse. So they've good. got talent. Yeah, they were showing a graphic on
2: Thursday Night Football last week, like the rotation numbers and the snap numbers of their f- defensive line. And they went 7-8 deep, and it was like, the eighth guy was a good defensive tackle, which you just don't see. Especially <laughs> no, at don't. edge, like Miller, Rousseau, Boogie Basham. Epinesis, your yeah. fourth edge rusher is just an obscene just luxury to have. Yeah, I mean, because he belongs us. on an NFL field. Yeah, yeah. you look at us, it's like, like our fourth guy is, we don't even know who. Because Never heard he, of uh, Yeah, left to sign with the Steelers. And for them, it's like, oh, is our fourth guy. He's going to play. Yeah, we'd kill for Epinesa as maybe a third guy.
0: Their weaknesses are their offensive line. And their cornerback, because their best player, Tredavis White, who you loved coming out in the draft process, that's their two weaknesses. We did not exploit the Giants' weaknesses enough to win. How do not we exploit their weaknesses, the two we mentioned, corner and offensive line, how do we exploit those Monday to get a win? Because we're going to have to, right? That's the only way we can win.
1: There are many times where we talk about you know, singling out a strength, like a strength of the defensive line is running straight at him. I don't believe that's the approach for this game. I think like you're talking about, we gotta attack those weaknesses. So we've got to hit Traylon Burks, Robert Woods. Honestly, dress Josh Gordon. Put him in there. You know, we've seen where he can dominate this league way back when, and a wild scratch off ticket at this point, but what do we got to lose? I mean, get as many wide receivers as we can, dress them all. Throw the thing around, because that's how we're going to beat this team. We're going to take advantage of those matchups. And then, once we've finally done that, and that defensive line is a little bit tired, I mean, they're so deep, they can rotate and never be tired. But once they are kind of just been running around in the field, then we can bring out Henry and just let him do what he does. And, I mean, he, su- he has traditionally has a lot, of su- a lot of success against the Bills. We've seen him stiff-arm Josh, or- Josh Norman into orbit. Downing, like Landon said earlier, if Downing doesn't do it, doesn't do it this game, and you know he's gonna die on the hill, like whatever, like let's get him out of here. And if we take a loss, yeah, we don't want to start off zero two. But if that's what it's gonna take to get Downing out of here, like whatever, because if let's so not to say I'm rooting for us to lose, because that is not the case at all. But we've got to well, be so aggressive. I'm glad
0: you brought that up, and Landon. Bigfellow pretty well outlines how the blueprint to win this game is going to take a positive effort from from our offensive play calling. Do you think we can execute that? Do you think we can exploit their weaknesses? Uh, I know you talked earlier that in a way you hope that they
2: don't. Do you think we could execute on that game plan, Bigfellow outlines? I mean, I think it's possible if the first change up from the first game is we actually play our best players. I mean, if Traylon Burks is on the field over Nick Westbrook, then maybe we've got a little bit more juice out there. But I think... When we say weakness, it's more relative to the rest of their team than actually weakness-weakness. like Their cornerback room doesn't have any big names, but it's well-coached. It's fine. The scheme protects them. They have a great supporting cast around them. And we don't have that kind of receiver where it's just, hey, you don't have a top-ten cornerback. Our top-five receiver is just going to dominate all game. We don't have anyone like that. And we don't have the play calling to simulate that. And then on the offensive line, it's... It's decent. It's not bad at, well, it's decent. It's a little, it's shaky on the interior at guard. But there's not one person on that line where you look at, this is the obvious guy we're going to target like last week with Ben Bredesen that is going to bring the whole house cards falling down. And Josh Allen has proven that he can combine with their play calling of just a lot of quick stuff, a lot of stuff out of the gun, just his mobility and athleticism, he can make up and hide a lot of those issues to begin with.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that. Because as good of an arm as he's had, he's been getting rid of the ball as well as anybody lately. in that yeah, yeah, they shows you exactly what like, you're saying is yeah. he's going to mitigate the weakness on of the offensive line if he keeps throwing it within two
2: and a half seconds, which he consistently did last weekend at the end of last season. Yeah, the, yeah, this year and then last year, for a guy that has the best arm in the league, he's doing a lot more like West Coast, just horizontal passing stuff. Part of that is offensive line, and part of that is just making it work. Because then when they do throw... It catches everyone off guard like we saw last week. I mean, he can make every throw in the book. So when you're having to concentrate on the short stuff, and that just opens up the deep ball. Right. So Josh Allen has some holes in
0: his game, but I I know on our group text last night, somebody was asking who has the best arm in the league. To me, big fella, unequivocally, the ball jumps out of Josh Allen's hands. I think he has the best pure like power arm in the league with apologies to Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes, even Malik Willis. I think the ball leaps off of Malik Willis's hand. Josh Allen just has that pure talent. They have gotten successful. I think Dable got a head coaching job because he harnessed that and convinced that guy, I don't care how hard you can throw, how far you can throw, you got two and a half seconds to let that sucker go, right? Think
1: about when he was a rookie. I remember him. We criticized Josh Allen of looking lost on the field and so inept. And, man, has that narrative changed over the last he was lost they worked
0: really yeah. hard and he's worked really hard uh right. he's one of the cases of a guy really kind of developing into a good quarterback
1: yeah definitely and and i i agree with you i think he does have the best and strongest arm in the league and you know that that text we were talking about it was between justin herbert initially i typed it. i was like yeah definitely and then i was like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. or josh allen <laughs> um and I'd definitely give the nod to Allen in this case.
0: Herbert's got a cannon, but there's no YouTube videos of him on his knees throwing it like 60 yards into the
1: uprights. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. Josh Joe Allen isn't, is a freak. Herbert doesn't seem like that kind of guy either that would want to do that. But you know, Josh no, Allen, fair. he's he's starting to got he's starting to get in commercials, and he's getting he's becoming the NFL the darling of the NFL, and you know, rightfully so. He's uh, he's the guy that kids want to wear that jersey. You know, they want to be Josh Allen. Heck, <laughs> our no. own. Uh, friends who sit behind us jenna wants to be no yeah
0: i think if you're a a 25 year old girl you're kind of into josh allen honestly though the irony it's like elway once he started playing within the system get and getting rid of that ball when mike shanahan met elway that was he convinced him to play within that system and it's the same thing with what they're doing now you can use that but if you rely on that totally it doesn't matter so they, they're as dangerous as ever. Been. If they're ever going to win a Super Bowl, it's going to be this year, next year. They're really good. Diggs is, is just extraordinarily good. And, you know, they're like us. Like, if you go and you look down their roster, a lot of them are fifth, six, seven round picks. I mean, they develop guys. Yeah. It's a college program in that way. It's like all of us or Pittsburgh or Baltimore. It's like they look for the guys they like.
1: They don't care where they played college, how tall they are, they just develop football players. Yeah. I mean, is there a hotter offensive coordinator right now than Ken Dorsey? I mean. It's like we kind of kiss
0: Arthur Smith's butt a lot, and he is good, and he's inventive, but it helped that he had Derrick Henry. And anybody, anybody who is going to uh, call plays for Buffalo right now is going to benefit from Josh Allen, especially in sure. the regular season. And But you saw Day Bowl do some magic last week. I always thought Ken Dorsey was destined to be a really good football coach, and he oh, is certainly sure. dialing it up. This team does not have a good offensive line. We mentioned that earlier. Several good teams don't have a good offensive line. Why is that? When I was your age, Landon is 21 years younger than me. The really good NFL – and, John, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong here. The really good offensive lines, uh, you might pick a generational talent like Jonathan Ogden or Orlando Pace, and he was kind of the anchor. Otherwise, you found a really good offensive line coach, and he – had a system and you picked guys from any Big Ten school, from Tennessee, from Florida. You just sort of built a really good offensive line as a unit, unless you had like a superstar. I don't think because of the spread offense and because of zone blocking, they don't even teach these guys to, to block. I mean, they if there were 20 good offensive linemen coming out every year 25 years ago, that same standard, there are five. Because isn't it weird to you guys that like we don't have a great offensive line top to bottom? We have a better one than Buffalo, and if we're going to win, they're going to have to show out. And so it's Derrick Henry to win. But how can such a good team have such a problem at offensive line? Is it that teams think they can just like still do what they did 20 years ago and they can't? Or is it just the absolute dearth? And that we've seen centers and guards get paid big money where they used to never do that. And I just really think it's one of the big, interesting sort of narratives of the evolution of football in the last decade or so, is like, how does this team, the Buffalo Bills of all people, who printed good linemen, how how can they have such a bad line now, and why are there not better offensive linemen around this league land?
2: You alluded to it with it just being a supply issue. I think going back to when you and John were younger and you were talking about how there were so many offensive linemen, the game was still... I want to say archaic, but it was very fundamental in its approach. Like it was all under center passing, run heavy. You win the game at the line of scrimmage. It's very fundamental. If you had, if you were an offensive lineman back then, you had to play like everyone else played, and you had to learn all the tricks. And now it's a lot more open. It's a lot easier to be an offensive lineman. It's just hard to find people with that frame, that body type, and that mentality to play offensive line, especially as salaries have grown and. The passing game has exploded, and conversely, pass rushers get more and more fame. Because now, if you're a guy that's 6'5", with long arms, and a good body, the work to put in to be a good offensive lineman, and to get paid a lot, which means you have to be an offensive tackle, compared to being a good pass rusher, a good edge rusher, it's just 9 day because at offensive offensive line, you can have three bad plays. Everyone hates your guts. On the defensive line... You can only have a good play like two-thirds of the time, and you can be awesome. It's just so much easier, and it's honestly probably more fun to play defensive end. Big Phil, I know you played offensive line, so you have your own perspective on it. But just from an outside perspective, playing defensive end and getting to pin your ears back and rush the quarterback on the most important plays of the game, the plays that everyone zooms in on them, that feels a lot better than just constantly having to block people and just learning all these little nitty-gritty things where... As a pass rusher, you can learn all these cool, flashy moves, and you can get sacks and all these awesome plays. Like offensive linemen, the best thing you can do is no one knows you're on the field, and that's just not very fun.
1: Well, and that's, I don't know if that's a problem right now, but the game has fundamentally changed. You know, it used to be the bigger, the batter, the tougher you are. the You know, that's what the NFL highlighted. But now we've got these quarterbacks quarterback driven leagues, we've got receivers making 30 plus million a year. Kids don't want to grow up and bang with big uglies. That's not what they want to do. I mean, yeah, sure. You got a kid that in high school is six foot eight and 320 pounds. Like, all right, yeah, you kind of know where you're going to get slotted, but it's not its not the sexy position the kids want to play. They want to play running back. They want to be like Derrick Henry. They want to be the power Well, Derrick Josh Henry now. wasn't
0: going to play offensive line, and I love your point, but don't you think the, t- the glamorization of the tight end position and defensive tackle, that's what's really taken from the offensive line and basketball. That's what's taken from like the very rare talent of being that big. Kind of, but. I I I mean, don't you think 30 or 40 years ago, Rob Gronkowski would have definitely been a lineman and George Kittle too?
1: If I'm a young kid today and I'm talking about playing in high school, playing in college, going to the pros, I'm going to want, personally, I'm going to want to be, like if I were looking at, you know, career earnings or whatever, however you want to gauge it, you're going to look at your skilled positions first. So you're going to do quarterback, wide receiver, you know, running back, tight end, and then you're going to look on the defensive side of the football and you're going to look at corner. Those are where kids are gravitating to today or an edge rusher because edge rushers are fun. And honestly playing in high school, playing in college, you know, I've had a brief, not even (laughs) a brief practice, Stint with the, a semi-pro team here in Nashville, and you know they wanted me to play offensive line. I was like, no, thanks, because I I know what's on the other right. side of that ball. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to block those dudes. I don't I don't want any part of it. And that's just part of the game today. You know, it, it the N- NFL and even college they elevate these certain positions, and you know it's so it's so funny because now that I'm here in Tennessee in in the South as opposed to in Pennsylvania, where smaller schools are more prevalent and you know, kids play both ways in, uh, up north. Down here, they they specialize in they high specialize, school. They specialize, yeah. And it's just such a a different game than it used to be. And maybe everybody specializes, but I can't. Like when I was playing in high school, like the thought of specializing on one side of the ball, not a chance. Oh yeah, it's like, like the, you're playing both the, ways, yeah. and you know that's just what it's going to be. And that develops a lot of you know talent. Um, So now kids specialize in these things, and nobody wants to specialize to be an offensive lineman um, unless they have ridiculous measurables and they can throw people around. That's how it's going to work, and that's why we see these guys who, you know, they dominate in college, they get to the pros, and they're not ready because their fundamentals, their technique, it's not there because nobody focuses on being offensive linemen because of the game today.
0: I'm from Hornwall. I went to Lewis County High School. And we have a bunch of farm boys down there, and we had like such good high school football teams. I think we lost three or f- three regular season games in my four years of high school. There was specialization, yeah. and I remember I went to college with this great guy, Josh Allen, and he was from Ohio, and he was like, "My team wasn't very good," and he was like, "Spees, my last two years, I never left the field yeah. because I was the best player on the team." So obviously, like the coach trying to keep his job.
1: I mean, same so thing like it
0: all—it heard- all is yeah. yeah, contingent on that for me. Landon, you can tell me. We're fans of other sports. If you look 30 years ago, Tennessee had a former offensive lineman as a head coach. And everybody that started for Tennessee more than one year, they at least got a cup of coffee. Because fundamentally, they were pretty good linemen. And we were running the I formation, which you just really barely see, except it's weird, ironically, like a gimmick now in college football. Now, you'll see Iowa, and you'll see Ohio State, and Penn State, and Nebraska. They'll still produce pretty good linemen, um, and then here and there. But I think it's not really, it's just the development of the guys, one. It's just not as big of a deal. They figured out ways to scheme it, spread things out, so just push them. That's just what they do. They just push and throw it within two seconds. But honestly, I watch Summer League for the Memphis Grizzlies, and I see Kenny Lofton Jr., who's from Louisiana. And he's six foot seven and 280 pounds. And 30 years ago, 25 years ago, 15 years ago, there is no way, there is no way that kid is not the starting left tackle for LSU. But 15, 20, 30 years ago, all the centers in the NBA were 7 feet tall. And, and now you can be six eight and be a small ball guy. I really think it all kind of interconnects. Because think about it. There's 3 million people that graduate from an American high school every year. 300 of them are the size that we're discussing. If even if just 30 of them take a different path, it really affects like the long-term future of certain positions. And the offensive line, especially at tackle, you have to be 6'5", 300 or more. There's just not that many men being born that are ever going to be that size. You can tell me, Landon, what you think, but I think it's basketball. I think it's defensive tackle. I think it's tight end, and I think it's just the fact that they don't There are only five or six schools where 25 years ago, there were 50 or 60 that ask him to do what they really need to do technically. Like, let's say Iowa today. The way Iowa runs their offense today, which we see is like embarrassingly antiquated, 50 schools were doing that 20 years ago.
1: Well, right, but how many times do you see an offensive lineman come out of Iowa that ends up? Being like one of those tough nasties, and you know, makes it in the league. Yeah, they're not producing the special teams. The talent, reason why is but, if you're yeah. six
0: foot six and three hundred ten pounds when you come in high school, you go to Ohio right. State or Alabama or LSU. That's the reason. Or well, you're but, playing but basketball it, I mean, because you know, thirty years ago, your parents or in your, your high school coach was like, "There's no way you're even gonna you're you're gonna be a mid major at best." But now you look at guys that I think the NBA is taking because the NBA has gotten smart. They don't want some seven-foot, non-athletic guy. They'd rather have a six-foot-eight. Look at P.J. Tucker, Landon. How good of a lineman would P.J. Tucker have made? LeBron James, for instance. Now, he's one of the best basketball players of all time, but honestly, LeBron James could have been one of the best offensive linemen or tight ends
2: or defensive ends
0: to ever play. He would have been
2: Deacon Jones. Yeah, I think all three of us have been just kind of hanging on the same point that it's just – kind of like the natural evolution of the game, just the way the game has flowed. It's gone smaller, faster. It's moved away from the line of scrimmage to the skill positions. Now, of course, end of the day, to win, you need a good line on both sides, unless you just have superstar talent at other positions that mask these holes. But nowadays, you can win without necessarily just dominating the line of scrimmage. And you still have to, but it's not a requirement like it used to be. Like, you look at all... The past Super Bowl teams, they had really good offensive lines and nasty pass rushes. Now you look at the past couple years, the offensive lines are okay, and then the defensive linemen are pretty much, they're generally not that good, or they're pass rushing specialized, and they're kind of soft on against the run. Like, the Chiefs, when they won, like, they didn't really have a good run-stopping defensive line, which, back in the day, you would never see that happen. You would never see a Super Bowl champion that couldn't stop the run because the run was how the nfl was powered
0: i mean i love the discussion obviously I, I just i really think we need to think in those larger terms as much as money as the nfl makes you think they would look to develop quarterbacks and left tackles i don't know why they don't do that because the product of the nfl doesn't match like the passion of the fans because this weekend they're going to roll out 32 teams and they're going to roll out 18 really good quarterbacks it's going to eventually come to that with offensive line because it just jumps out to me when I look at a Bills team. They've done a really good job building this team. All credit to their front office. And if they could have built an offensive line and they had, like, Landon dimensions of supply, then they would have because, obviously, their linebacking core is pretty good and their receivers are good. they found and developed a good quarterback. It's just kind of disappointing because I don't think there are that many offensive lines to be good. So it comes to the fact that, the product suffers because everybody has to just throw this ball within. what What if we lived in a world where Josh Allen had four seconds to mm-hmm. pass? That would be the most exciting Trouble. football in the history of the NFL. The over-under is 48.5, John. I don't really like gambling, and we don't really gamble, but I, it's good. That's what some experts and some really good numbers crunchers think. Do you think this will be a high-scoring game? Like, What's your overall feel about like what we're going to see as far as like are we going to see sort of three yards in a cloud of dust? Or are we going to see towards the end of the game, we're going to see a shootout?
1: I think it's going to be a high scoring game. It's either go tit for tat and we're going to be run up the scoreboard on each side and keeping it close until we get to the end of the fourth and overtime if that happens again. and Or, you know, we're not going to show up and we're going to get stomped big time. And it's going to be like 35-13 or something like that. Get, I think we hit the over.
2: Yeah, the only way I, could, I the under hitting requires either our defense has their, a performance of a lifetime considering all the injuries and guys we're missing. Also, it's looking like Christian Fulton won't play on Monday. Fulton, Molden, Chance Campbell, and Landry. So missing three starters and a good rotational guy, we'd have to stop what's been crowned as the best offense in football. Or, like you said, John, it's, an embarrassing one-sided affair where one side scores like 30, the other side scores 10, and the, the, the over doesn't hit because one team just stops trying, the other team can't score. Hopefully that doesn't happen just because I want to see good football. That option that I just mentioned of the 30 to 10, if that resulted in Downing getting fired, then I would tolerate <laughs> it.
0: So let's take this time to have a conversation. We've been really hard on Downing. Y'all tell me if I'm right or wrong. Obviously, it's, it is a collaborative effort. I know when they go in, they make the game plan. It's not just him. It's not like one guy is pulling the trigger all the time. They have nothing to hide behind. Everything Landon said it was true. Landon is not some crazy drunk fan. Well, wow. Like, he outlined it well. At the end of the day, it is a collaborative effort. And it really is an indictment. Like, it all rolls back to the guy who has the offensive coordinator and play calling designation. At the end of the day, it is an indictment on the entire staff, right? Because it's not like... We don't know, like he could have be under du- specific directive by his head coach or immediate directive, like, no, call this play, do that. We don't know what the influences are. I just hope that the people listening to the show know that it's more of a criticism of I think the coaching staff and the overall directive than it is like one specific guy that's just trying to do his very best.
1: It's bit we've been in this situation before and Vrabel, you know, ultimately that decision lies with him. You know, like you're saying, he could say, "All right, well, we want to be conservative in our game approach." And Downing draws up something like that too. And uh, I mean, it could very well be that that Variable has a specific game plan in mind. And well, here and here's the thing too. Like, I, I imagine that probably is the case. Variable likes things to go a certain way. But I, I, I picture Shane Bowen as being this guy, like, okay, just. Point me in the direction and we'll do it. And I picture Jim Schwartz as this kind of like frisky guy who's like, yeah, Vrabel says this, but let's be more aggressive. Let's do that. And when it works, they get all the credit. And Vrabel, you know, he doesn't take any of the heat and the defense plays well. I don't feel like. Todd Downing's play calling, you know, has any kind of merit to it. And I don't necessarily know if Tim Kelly has that same Jim Schwartz swagger yet. So maybe they're both li- listening to Rabel and kind of executing one specific set of plays. And Tim Kelly is a, a, a he's part of the. I guess if you want to say part of the Vrabel tree back in Houston, um, you know they're familiar with each other. He he wanted Tim Kelly as the offensive coordinator before the decision was made for Todd Downing, but the Texans blocked the interview. So. Maybe variable kind of wants it to happen too. I I don't know. There could be a lot of different, like you're talking about, a lot of different influences that a lot of different pressures that influence this decision and, you know, the way that this all works out. And it may be way differently than we are, you know, analyzing it to be. So I think that'll be an interesting dynamic to, to watch play out. And obviously it's going to have to happen, you know, only a few certain ways, either downing resurrects everything and fixes it and we're the offense that we've been you know, calling for for a long time or he's gone and Tim Kelly or somebody moves over.
0: He kind of elaborates on a good point, Landon. He's saying, and I think this is right, Jim Schwartz, Kelly, they don't come in to create the game plan or implement the game plan. They've been there, done that. They're the smell test. They're like defending the dissertation. You tell me what you're going to do. I tell you if I think it's going to work, if it stinks. And hopefully over time, Kelly will be as effective as we think Schwartz has been. Because I think Schwartz is not like building this plan. But they have to throw it against a guy who's been there, done that. And he says, no, no, no.
2: Or, yeah, yeah, I buy it, right? I would hope so. But I'm just looking at Downing. I'm just, I'm out of, there's no excuses for him. We have the talent. He's had the time to implement his scheme. And there's never been any signs of hope, like, oh, he's been calling a good game, but the offensive line didn't hold up, or all our receivers were hurt, so it didn't work out. Every game, it's like, well, the offense was pretty flat, but we won and because we had Derrick Henry when he was healthy, or we won because we grinded out a super sloppy game. It's just, I mean, at this point, it's either... Downing is who he is. In 2017, when he got the Raiders' offensive coordinator job, yes, Derek Carr was coming back from a broken leg, But that offense was awesome. Derek Carr was awesome. They plummeted to, like, bottom third in the league on offense. Same thing with us last year. Yeah, we got hurt. But even when we were healthy, it was never that effective. It was just Derek Henry is too good for the other team. And A.J. Brown is making splash plays. It was never, that's a good play call. It's, we have good players.
0: And I didn't expect Landon to uh, buy the committee approach. And that it wouldn't be anybody's responsibility except for him. I know, John, you got to get going, but I want to ask you one last question. You mentioned Dak McKinley. Uh, Dak McKinley has a lot of talent. He's been signed to our practice squad. Big fella, I I view him, this is just my opinion, I view him like Josh Gordon. If they were going to make an impact on this team, they would already be with their other team. But I I like the fact that they keep just scratching off tickets, right? Yeah. That being said, though, there's $11 million in cap space. Do you see a move coming? And I would love to see Lana's opinion as well.
1: I also don't think that Tack McKinley is the answer because look, he's a first-round pick. He's had multiple opportunities to prove it, but at that same point, I mean, he, you're talking about a guy who, in limited action, still is getting some sacks. I mean, he play. He started two games last year for Cleveland, had two and a half sacks. I mean, back in '19, he started. He started 13 games, only three and a half sacks, but. As a rookie, he had six. As a second-year player, he had seven. I mean, there's something there. Uh, uh, And like you said, I like that they're throwing something at it. Obviously, they're addressing a need. And just to kind of keep up with the Bills, we need a rotation of guys that can keep getting in there and giving Weaver a a breath because he's not Harold Landry who plays 99% of the snaps. So they've got to do something different. I think with the cap space that we have, I think we'll sign somebody. Honestly, I, I would like it to be an edge rusher, but I don't think it's going to be. I think it's going to be some offensive firepower in some way, or maybe they're saving it if uh, for a guard or a tackle. But I, I very much think, you know, I mentioned this in the off season. I think that we'll at least be a, a buyer on some of the Odell Beckham stuff once he kind of is fully rehabbed, I think we're going to be buyers. And I think we're going to look at that because look at the impact he had with for the Rams last year when he was on that team. He got hurt, but he was pretty effective with the change of scenery, especially if the Traylon Burks thing isn't looking to pan out. Robert Woods, if he's not getting involved, and if Austin Hooper looks like a bust of a free agent you've got to turn your your head to some offensive firepower. And I think that's what J-Rob might be thinking. I
2: would say it depends on what direction the team is looking in after like week five, week six. True. Because that'll be after the first Colts game. I think the second one is week seven. If we're looking up like we're around 500, we've beaten the Colts, we've hung in there against the Raiders and the Bills, and it's like, yeah, we need this one guy to just kind of just fix this little hole in our roster and we'll be competitive. Or if it's just been a nightmare where it's looking like a lost season, we're going to be stuck in mediocrity on both sides. I think J-Rob would just let that money roll over just to have some more cap space in the offseason. Because if it's a lost season anyway, like if we're gunning for a 500-ish record where we've lost the division to the Colts, no matter who we sign, no one's really going to take us to that level that we need to get back to the playoffs. Because there's a reason everyone who's available right now is available.
1: Well, and we talk about it all the time about the scratch-off ticket mentality. I mean, and if he rolls that eleven, let's say eleven million dollars rolls over to next year, and if they decide that Malik Willis is the guy next year, and we cut Tannehill after June one, I believe that's an extra cap savings of around twenty-seven million dollars. So then you're talking about some serious money that we have to pay to play with, um, and we can take advantage of that really, really, really low contract for Malik. Um, so, I don't know. I I could see it going a bunch of different ways.
2: Yeah, Week 5 against Indy pretty much decides the season. It seems pretty hyperbolic to say Week 5 decides if we're going to be back in the playoffs or if we're just going to be stuck in the mud, but it's a good measuring stick of
1: where we'll be at. Yeah, and this schedule was always going to be front-loaded. We looked at that initially, and we knew that. First three, four weeks are going to be really, really hard.
0: You guys are ready. Money Night Football. Like I said earlier, I think it's going to be a Bills love fest, but I love being the underdog.
1: I don't like it. I like being a heavy favorite, but you know, this team has risen up to some incredible challenges and I expect them to do it again.
0: I want a great effort and I want a better offensive game plan. And I think I speak for the group. Thanks for being with us. Follow us. Introduce somebody else to our podcast. We just appreciate you guys listening so much. We'll see you guys Monday night for the game. We'll talk to you after. Tighten up tighten
2: up. Get Todd Downing off my football team. Downing down.